gotta say, uh, a weekend. I'm feeling very, very good about Oscar prospects for both Dolomite and yeah. Joker. They're yeah. both burning up the box office and doing very well. And and Dolomite's, of course, going to be on. going to live on Netflix in perpetuity. So. Yeah, yeah. That's a little weird that that movie's going to be uh, on Netflix. Yeah, it's like yeah. immediately. But there it is for people to watch it. No reason for Academy voters to miss it. That's it. That's it. No reason to miss it at all. And uh, they're, they're they're handling it really well. It's beautiful. Going really well. So, where, have you gotten any screeners yet? Uh, one or two. Uh, I got I've gotten only a sh- I got some show. T- oh, you got the king. The, uh, the no, not that one. Not the Netflix one. The uh, the one about Amelda Marcos. The doctor. Oh about yes, Amelda, yes, uh, yes. So whatever yes. it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, that's that's what I got too. The Showtime doc. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Right? Yeah, we should we should be getting more. Uh, October is usually a. Yeah, a fair early month onslaught, but haven't gotten any of those yet. I'm assuming that we're going to be spending the rest of our award seasons, all of them, yeah. hostless in most cases. It doesn't seem like we're going to be having any You know, any for the time yet. being, uh, everything's cyclical, so they'll they'll go back to a host when they, they there's somebody that's safe to go to. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't imagine who that's going to be. <laughs> it's, you know... Uh, I'll tell you who it's going to be. Needs to be an I'll, attitude no, shift. I'll tell I'll tell you who it's going to be, and and it'll be right. It'll be justice. It's going to be Kevin Hart. Yeah, you think so? You think? Yeah. To me, that pivots more on Kevin than it does the Academy at this point. Uh, and I don't. I think Kevin's got an attitude. And uh, I don't know the little man. Think, the little man seems like he holds a grudge. You know, yes, but I also think it pivots on um, not so much Kevin, but it pivots on how much. How much we're willing to go against the people who are opposed to Kevin. And I think that it is a vocal minority. And I think at a certain point, the uh, the opposition just becomes kind of shrill and repetitive. Yeah. And it just becomes like a droning sound in the background. And it's been there, done that. He's paid his price. You know, we feel we we feel like he he's uh, the last few years he's been you know uh, he's been a good boy. It's been really clean comedy. He's been he's. He's been a good citizen. He had that accident. Oh yeah, I was gonna say since, you know, since all of that, he had that yeah, wacky accident. He had the accident, and he's recovering. And uh, you know, you get, there's you get, you get a certain sort of empathy. Yeah, that's it. Although yeah. there's a whole weird thing about who was actually driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, but uh, it's not that? gonna. That's, that's wacky. It did, nobody died. You know, who could, you know, who could host the Academy Awards. No kidding. And I say this uh, completely. And he has a long track res- re- record uh, in history in the world that everybody's been looking at for the last thirty years. I think. Yeah. Uh, the person who can has- host the Academy Awards uh, easily, Will Smith. Will that's, Smith that's can host. It. First of all, he'd be a great host because he's mm. funny. Uh, Will has never ever said or done anything remotely deeply objectionable. Well, other than to... other than making certain movies, but well, you know, you, 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 certain movies that are yeah, no, a human being on the planet. And you're not one gonna, of the... not going to go back in Will's Twitter feed and find and find a problem. And that's one of I... the th- one of the three most charismatic celebrities I've ever met. Yeah, along with Schwarzenegger and Crow, yeah. and all for different reasons. Yeah, but but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I keep I keep thinking uh, there's a way to shoehorn Jerry Seinfeld in there somehow. Yeah, Jerry. You know, Jerry, because Jerry. because you know, comedians in cars is a thing. He still has a profile. He hasn't disappeared. Seinfeld just signed that giant new deal for Netflix. Yeah. So he's back on everybody's radar. He's still a sharp comic, uh, and and his material is classic Oscar material. It's funny, you know. There's a new channel on XM Radio. I should make mention of this. Mm-hmm. 
I just found it today by accident. Because every once in a while, you get sick and tired of listening to the same five or six channels. So, you know, you're, I'm just going through the dial, the XM radio dial. And, and I, I'm, I'm like, oh, that, this is a great bit. This is Johnny Carson talking. It's in the comedy range, right? You know, in the comedy channels, which is usually stand-up stuff. And I'm listening to Johnny, a little bit of Johnny Carson talking to uh, Bob Newhart. And then I realize, I look at the, the screen, I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a whole channel, a Tonight Show channel. Oh. It's all old Tonight Show bits. Nonstop. All just they they're just farming out time. I mean, they're licensing old Tonight Show stuff. And it's just it, it was Carson and and Bob Newhart just just doing shtick. Like not even prepared to rehearse shtick. It that was is just, fantastic. Because they're you know, they were buddies off screen too. And um it was really, really funny. And you know, it's it, that Johnny Carson thing that Carson had when he hosted the Oscars. Very much Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. So he could do it too. You're right. Will Smith could do it. There are a lot of people that could do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. Man. Yeah, I, a lot I, of you. If, what's funny is if you want to find people who can do it, you got to go backwards in time, yeah. which is ironic to me. Uh, I mean, uh, Jay Leno could Jay yeah. Leno host? Of course he could. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You can if you go backwards in time, you can you can pull in all kinds of old school guys and yeah. women. Yeah. Uh, who could host the? Because the the problem is. You're younger, newer, and even by that, we're talking about people, you know, 40 and sometimes plus 40 years old. They've been, they've been spending the last 20 years yep. trying to be ever more edgy. Yeah. And therefore, dancing out there on the edge of the razor blade with the things that they say. Yeah. And the idea, you know, you, you, it's, it's a thing. Since um, Certainly since uh, well, Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay was that last guy who who went out there and he got smacked down and beat up and grounded yeah. in, into, into uh, dust. Uh, being out there, but you know, it's, uh, since him, these comics have been trying to live out there, and that's, and and that's what it, you get. That's see, that's record. that's why I think Seinfeld would be because he's he's a perfect old school guy. He's like a younger version of Billy Crystal. Yeah, he was never interested in being edgy, Jerry. No, he's, he was interested in being funny. Yeah, he's he's just old school Cat Catskillian style Jewish comedy. Observational, like yeah, this, this observational stuff that's in the world that I find funny. Yep, absolutely, very very true. David Brenner was another one. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. Robert Klein. All of, yeah, the old school. Richard okay. Lewis. I mean, Richard Lewis. Yeah, oh, I was listening to all of these guys. I was listening to some of Richard Lewis the other day. It just had me in absolute stitch. I'd forgotten how funny he could be. Yeah. He was so neurotic. Gary Shandling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the late Gary. Gary, so wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive in with some. So we got a lot of TV this week. We've got some docs. We got foreign. Uh, we uh, we got all the new stuff out of the way last week. So we've uh, we're gonna get into some. We're gonna get into some some TV and foreign and docs this week. And also got uh, Tim's got a couple of LGBT titles. Uh, the first one I'm gonna talk about here for foreign film fans. Wow, is this an unusual, kind of very strange uh, Dutch-French co-production that that feels the need uh, to put a pull quote on it from Barry Jenkins? So Barry Jenkins, this is this is how they're they're buying their cred. Uh. Is Barry Jenkins, who is kind of you know now based on his 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 first three films really, but then everything since Moonlight, Moonlight, and and Beale Street, he has a lot of art art house cred, and so well they figure we put Barry Jenkins on here, maybe people will watch our weird movie. He says this magnificent cake is my favorite film of the year. Okay, I, I I'd love to know the context <laughs> of that uh, under what circumstances, but here's the deal. So this is a uh, a one six six shot. Film on Blu-ray. It's called This Magnificent Cake! Exclamation point. 
And uh, this was uh, this is basically a stop motion animated film that takes place in the Congo during Belgian um, mm. colonialism, mm. which is a. I mean, if I were to tell you, if I <clears throat> if I were to go to, to to fund financiers and say, so we want to do a stop motion animated movie. Oh, that's great! You mean like Wallace and Gromit, Wallace, yeah. or like or like Coraline? Absolutely, exactly, one of those. So it's like Wallace and Gromit, Shaun the Sheep, Coraline, stop motion, except it takes place in the Congo during Belgian occupation. Uh. <laughs> okay, you lost me. Where's the where are the jokes in that? It's uh so yeah, it, it's it's an unusual thing, but uh, it winds up being relatively interesting. And by magnificent cake, what that refers to is that Africa was viewed by the colonial powers as a cake. And King Leopold of Belgium uh, said, "I don't want to lose any piece of this magnificent cake." That was his reference to uh, to Africa and then the Congo in particular. So yeah. uh, anyway, this. Um, this is from uh, directors Mark James Rolls, who is Dutch, and Emma de Swaif, who is, uh, I think, Franco-Belge. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, it's, it's, it, this is in Dutch and in French, and it's a co-production of all, all over Europe, but uh, Netherlands and France, presumably, and Belgian, uh, Belgian money, I'm sure, is in it. They get tax credit money all over the place. And uh, yeah, so this is just this is a a, a look at uh, the the colonists and the colonized and all through stop motion. And it's it is strange. I, I I'm not going to tell you anything else. It's very strange. Has a behind the scenes gallery and an interview with uh, with Rolls. Um, but somehow it kind of sort of works. <coughs> it's an unusual movie. This magnificent cake. Uh, from Distrib Films, The Silent Revolution, which is actually really quite good. Uh, Silent Revolution takes place in uh, East Germany just about a decade after the end of World War II. And it's, uh, it is, I, I don't believe that this is based in fact, but it's based in actual factual events. So it's, it is a, effectively once, the, once these various student revolts start happening in the 1950s against, the, uh, against communist rule in the East... And there was the Prague Spring and all these various things. Uh, so this is um, this is about a group of students who are made aware of the uprising in Budapest in Hungary, and um, who decide that they're going to uh, you know have some small gesture that shows solidarity, which winds up getting a little bit out of hands. And uh, it is it, it, it what it says about history is quite interesting, but the performances are superb. This was at the Berlin Film Festival in 2018, and uh, did quite well. It is, uh, but it's it's one of the better you know German language films I've seen in a number of years. It really tackles the history in a very interesting way. A very very young Bjork shows up in this movie called The Juniper Tree by Nietzsche Keen. Uh, this is from Arbelos. The, it was made in 1990. It's a very short. It's only 80 minutes long. And uh, this is an Icelandic fairy tale of sorts. It takes a, uh, a, a, a fairy tale by the Brothers Grimm, transla- transposes it uh, or transfers it to medieval Iceland, and uh, puts Bjork in it in her first acting performance as a woman with a younger sister. And, uh, or yeah, no, it's an older sister. She's the young one, she, the other one's the older sister. And um, the, they are trying to basically save their lives because their mother has been uh, arrested as a witch. Mm. 
and uh, it, it gets into the superstition and the culture of medieval Iceland in a very, very interesting way. The photography is, is absolutely sensational and beautiful, all in black and white, and uh, very, very impressionistic and very kind of uh, dreamlike at times. And uh, this also includes a, a trio of short films by Nietzsche Keen, which are all very good, and a new interview with the uh, cinematographer and archival video with Keen. Um, yeah, it's it's worth checking out. I'm not a fan of Bjork, either the music or her acting. However, this really kind of all works. She's just weird enough, and the story's weird enough that it all kind of you know melds together in a, a relatively interesting way. Uh, I'll do a couple more here, and then I'll turn it back over to Tim to uh, to dive into some TV or some docs. Uh, Kung Fu Monster is from Wellgo, and uh, this is a kind of a middling... You know, last week we talked about gremlins, and this is like a Kung Fu gremlins of sort. Uh, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, there's a... This is right around the time of the Ming Dynasty in China, and uh, the Sultan of Brunei, or his equivalent at the time, um, has like this little gizmo-like gremlin creature that he he wants to give to the uh, the Ming Dynasty as a gift, and, uh, and then it just turns into basically kung fu gremlins. It's really the only way to do it. I, I yeah, it's not uh, it's. It's it's a little silly, but it's nicely done. It's just it's silly. Uh, Three Peaks, pretty interesting movie actually. The uh, this is by Jan Zabail, and it stars Berenice Bejot and uh, Alexander Failing, the German actor. Uh, Berenice Bejot, of course, the Argentine-born uh, French actress, and uh, from the artist and various other things. the uh, The story here is is quite interesting. This is about a woman, a, a single mom, and her child, and her current boyfriend, played by Failing. Uh, and they are vacationing in the, speaking of, the Dolomites. People, people, <laughs> just to make clear, with all our talking about Dolomite, the Dolomites are a, a mountain range in Italy, yeah. not associated with Dolomite, the, no. the, the yeah. you know, the, yeah, the, uh, the uh, character known here in lore. Uh, so the, uh, they're, they're vacationing there and, and may want to stay there forever, but there's, a, there's friction between the kid and the, and the potential stepfather who may become stepfather. And so you wind up getting into this, uh, it's, it, 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 it's almost prank-like. Uh, the, the kid wants to sort of start, they go out for a hike, and uh, the kid decides to kind of do something, and things spiral out of control. And before you know that, know it, the, the friction between the kid and, and, and his potential stepfather becomes much more serious than it otherwise should have been. So, um, interesting, a little bit constrained. It's uh, beautiful photography in the Dolomites, but an interesting film nonetheless. It's called Three Peaks. And let's see, I'll do this, and then I'll turn it back over to you. Jackie Chan in Bleeding Steel. Jackie Chan's movies have just been so terrible lately. No. And this is a grindstone Lionsgate uh, deal. It, it didn't really make it into theaters, didn't need to. Um, this is just Jackie as a, as a, you know, playing his super cop character again, except with a different name, basically a super cop. And, uh, he's trying to find this super villain, this bond like villain and who's, you know, and, and who's using technology and chemicals to make himself super powerful. And, uh, then it just goes aground. Then there are all these different story twists that go into all very strange directions that make uh, no sense whatsoever. But um, 
the concept of bleeding steel, which is actually a thing uh, that that they develop in the film, that's sort of interesting. So action scenes are generic. Jackie is not great, but it is what it is. A few films over here. Yeah. Uh, start off with a couple of uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, films. Uh, one very, very funny, Bathroom Stalls, Parking Lots, and Parking Lots, Bathroom Stalls, and Parking Lots. This is the funniest film uh, about a young man who uh, travels from Brazil to San Francisco, realizes that one of his American friends that he knows that he met in Brazil is actually in San Francisco for the weekend. That guy has a straight friend. Yeah. And 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 the two gay guys and the straight guys decide to roam around uh, the gay bars and bathroom stalls and parking lots of San Francisco on the evening uh, with the straight guy trying to teach the gay guys how to loosen up and have a little fun, <laughs> which I just find absolutely That's, cool. That's really actually quite clever. It's like, you gay guys, man, you guys are tight. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me show y'all. Let me show y'all. We straights do it, uh, which is just absolutely hysterically funny little film uh, that I enjoyed quite a lot. Behind the scenes, features, deleted scenes, bloopers, all that kind of stuff. It's always funny to me that the small little films have so much more by way of special features on them nowadays than than some of the larger films. Uh, occasionally, anyway. Uh, the second of the of our LGBTQ films from TLA releasing is Fireflies, another very powerful little, uh, little movie, a little drama. Uh, about a young man who's fleeing persecution in Iran, goes to Turkey, gets on a ship in Turkey, and finds himself unexpectedly in Veracruz. Just you know, he, unexpectedly. Yeah, he doesn't. Oh, he, he, he thinks he's going someplace else. Nevertheless, now he's now he's in Veracruz. He's, he's he's there all by himself. He doesn't speak the language. He runs into these people. He just starts to figure out a way to build a life for himself. Uh, while he's homesick uh, for home, but also uh, enjoying a certain sort of freedom that he never had when he was back in Iran because, you know, things are very tough back there. Again, a perfectly lovely little film uh, that I think most folks would rather enjoy. Cassandro the uh, Exotico, which is, is a wonderful little film about a very particular sort of lucho libre uh, wrestler in Mexico, so Lucha Libre, the mask wrestlers and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's a a strain of Lucha Libre which involves uh, cross-dressing wrestlers, and they are very flamboyant, and their outfits scream uh, drag queen, uh, and they wrestle uh, as good as any of the wrestlers uh, in the mask, and it's a lot of fun. This one is about uh, a guy who does some of the, that stuff, and it's just the yeah. funniest thing you've ever seen. Uh, so I gotta recommend that uh, Cassandro the Exotico, uh, Clarence Clements, the wonderful saxophone player. Does, so moving, great. On to, moving on to documentation. Yep. Yep. Uh, Clarence was just an astounding figure. Uh, this d- little documentary begins with Clarence back in 2003, when uh, after a long run with the Eastwood Bruce and the Eastwood Band, and, and and actually doing a lot of television acting. He had spent some time on on, uh, on several television programs, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, Clarence, he decided that he needed to take a sabbatical. Mm. And, and he put down the saxophone, and Clarence went to China. No kidding. Yeah, and some filmmakers just saw the fire wow. him all around China and everything. And that's that he what did. this is? What this is what, this oh, is no kidding. Clarence. Now, they continue follow, or they actually sort of pick up following Clarence again after he returns to the United States. And just about the time they pick up following him again, early in 2011, and Clarence is in Florida where he has a stroke and dies. That's when we lost Clarence Clemens. That's so back sad. In 2011. I didn't but, realize he went to China before. But that. he went to China, and it's just absolutely interesting that these filmmakers happen to pick up with him again, and you know they're going to follow up with Clarence and see what's going on with Clarence, and and they're there, uh, they're a part of his life and engaging uh, with him again in 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 in, in this film, uh, just at the moment that he has a stroke and passes away. 
so so it sort of came full circle around, you know, this Clarence Clinton. All kinds of wonderful people uh, in this film, including uh, Bill Clinton, among others. Uh, uh, Joe Walsh, uh, Jake Clemens, uh, his son. Uh, wonderful figures talking about Clarence. Bruce Springsteen, obviously. Uh, wonderful people talking about Clarence. But a good chunk of this film is simply wandering around with Clarence as Clarence wanders around China, not playing the saxophone. Uh, Danger God. Danger God is a film uh, about a Hollywood stuntman who is believed, a guy named Gary Kent, who is believed to be the fella that uh, Quentin Tarantino based a good deal uh, once upon a time in Hollywood on, uh, this stuntman, Gary Kent, who uh, was a stuntman way, way, way back in the day uh, on all kinds of films and working for all kinds of directors dating back to the, uh, to the late 1950s, really. He worked for Richard Rush, uh, Dennis Steckler, Al Abrams. I, 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 I could see this. Yeah. I could see this now. Now this all makes sense. Yeah, and, and he had an interesting brush with the Man Manson family, this guy. Sort of bigger than life, See, now this, kind of guy. Now, now it all makes it. Because Quentin, Quentin just like, he cherry picks all of those unusual little details and anecdotes mm -hmm. and bits of trivia. And he stitches them, them stitches them all together in these really interesting ways. And he builds a bit there. This guy had a little crossover with the Manson family, all of that kind of stuff. So anyway, if you're wondering who that uh, guy uh, uh, that Brad Pitt yeah. is kind of playing, because we all we, we, in Hollywood. So so he basically he took the relationship between Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds mm -hmm. and juxtaposed it over this guy. Over this guy who who, who of course worked for both Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham. No kidding. You, you, you can find Gary Kent falling down in Burt Reynolds so and Hal Needham movies. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, Gary, and Gary, uh, this guy here, Gary's about 150 years old now. He's still buffer than I am. Yeah, it's right, crazy. Right I hate those second. guys. It's kind of irritating. Deeply, deeply irritating. So, uh, it's more foreign here. Tokyo, Living Dead Idol. You know, the Japanese can really do some weird stuff. Uh, this is from <coughs> Crack. Well, we this, did drop a nuclear weapon. Yes, this is from Crack and Releasing. Um, this is really actually kind of funny. It's about this girl who's a pop star. And uh, she gets bitten by a zombie. And now she's got 72 hours to find the uh, cure, or she's going to be a zombie. Yeah. Or if she finds the cure, she gets to keep being a pop star. So, uh, it, you know, it, 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 it's silly, it's cute, it's kind of uh, high, overly high concept, but it, they get a lot of mileage out of it. It's not as good as Anna and the Apocalypse from last <laughs> week. But it, it it has its moments. It definitely has its moments. And uh, there it is. It's uh, Tokyo Living Dead Idol. It's a really, really cute cast, though. Uh, the Third Wife by Ash Mayfair. Uh, this is a film movement release. Is very, very good. I What I love about this is the backdrop is a, a period and a place that we all know nothing about, uh, which is 19th century Vietnam. And, uh, you know, Vietnam as a country, as a place, as a culture, doesn't really show up on anybody's radar until really 1950s when the French are there and uh, they're fighting communists and the whole thing. And then that, of course, dovetails in the Vietnam War for us. Well, what was Vietnam like before that? A yeah. really rich culture and yeah. a fascinating place. And uh, this is about a polygamous uh, household in the late 19th century in uh, what would eventually be called Vietnam. And a woman who is the uh, third wife to the landowner. And if that sounds a little bit like Raise the Red Lantern, it kind of is. There are a lot of similarities here. Uh, so she, uh, she realizes that there are certain things you have to do to elevate your status, just like Gong Li does in Raise the Red Lantern. And uh, then you get into all of the, the political entanglements between the wives and you know how they jockey for position in the household to do certain things and not do other things. 
And, of course, there is a lot of tragedy in this. And uh, in the end, it is just really, really, really interesting. Um, all in Vietnamese. And uh, it's a pretty short movie. It, it kind of flies by. And uh, you'll, you'll appreciate it. If you like Raise a Red Lantern, you'll really, really love this. This has a, uh, an interview with Ash Mayfair on it and a commentary. And then a short film that Ash Mayfair made uh, some time ago as well called Grasshopper. Also Vietnamese with English subtitles. And uh, Louis de Funès uh, stars in The Mad Adventures of Rabbi Jacob by French director Gérard Houry. This is also from Film Movement. This is on their Film Movement Classics line in Blu-ray. And this was actually a, a Golden Globe foreign language film nominee back in 1973. It is a wild movie. Uh, it, it's just a completely strange comedy. If you don't know who Louis de Funès was, he, he was, you know, one of these, uh, really great French screen comedians who didn't kind of break much out. He didn't break out much further than just some, some French films, but, uh, this is probably his most internationally successful film. And, um, it's based on a, um, uh, a, a bit of a con, I guess is the best way to put it. So you've got this um, Archie Bunker-like bigot who runs a factory and who is uh, captor- captured by an Arab revolutionary. And um, they want... How do I even do this without sort of revealing the story for people who haven't seen it? Um, there's a... Re- they are both... Oh, how to even put this? They've, they've got to disguise themselves as rabbis. I won't tell you why. I won't tell you the circumstances. I'll just do that. They have to describe them, disguise themselves as rabbis. And uh, that winds up getting into this bizarre, mistaken identity plot, and it just gets funnier and weirder and more eccentric as it goes along. And uh, there's a lot of... Uh, it's, like a, it's like a big Three's Company episode. Yeah. Basically, it's just kind of a wacky farce. So, uh, Danielle Thompson, the great French director and also screenwriter, she co-wrote the screenplay. And uh, there's also an essay here by the, uh, the author, the original author of the material. So, Gerard Ury, very talented director. Louis de Funès, very funny guy. Together, they made The Mad Adventures of Rabbi Jacob. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'll do one more and then I'll let you get to the rest. So, The Girl in the Fog by Donato Carisi, based on a successful novel... Uh, essentially tells the story of a disappearance of this uh, teenage girl in the Italian Alps. And uh, the detective who um, is called in to try to figure it out and realizes that there are more nuances to this and more issues that may be uh, immediately evident. And um, it's not, is it a thriller? I guess on a certain level it is. But it's really uh, more about a, it's a, a bit of a psychological study of, of, of how a tragedy affects all the different people and all these different aspects surrounding it. Very, very good film. Uh, the Girl in the Fog. Fantastic, fantastic. A couple of really interesting docs over here. The first one is called The Quiet One. This is a wonderful documentary about Rolling Stones founder, uh, founding member of the Rolling Stones, Bill Wyman. Yeah, I love this doc. I love this doc. Absolutely extraordinary uh, individual uh, who was apparently one of the most sensitive members of the band. And older. Older older than everyone else. Older than Mick. Bill was born in 36. Yep. So he'd be uh, 83 now. And and, and also the most 
and, and I have an additional story on this too, but he also the most um, normal. Mm-hmm. He's not a rock and roller. He loves music. He loves music, yeah. yeah. But he's not like a woo party like while the rest of them are, you know, Bill jamming. Was not, Bill was not about sex and drugs. No. He was about rock and roll, but yeah. he was not about sex and That's drugs. It. He was a family man, yep. relatively speaking. Yep. Did not care for the infighting and all that because he yep. loved creating the music. Walked away from it all, Bill. Yeah. Uh, without regret and became uh, an archaeologist and a photographer, a world-renowned photographer. Yeah. And, and one of the things that he's been archiving over the past you know, 45 years now is the history of the rock and roll revolution and, and what rock and roll meant all around the world as a revolutionary tool that young people have always uh, uh, aggregated to whenever they wanted to become engaged in yeah. revolts. Yep. Uh, uh, the music of, uh, of of revolution is not Strauss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's rock it's and roll to some extent, hip hop, I suppose. Yeah. nowadays. but it's you know, it's pop- uh, popular music. It's popular music. Yeah, uh, and uh, and Bill Wyman is just a wonderful, wonderful historian of all of these things. This film, uh, everybody that he ever ran into, and he ran into everybody and talked with everybody. So the Quiet One, a wonderful title for an f- absolutely fabulous documentary about Bill Wyman. Um, so this could have gone with your LGBT segment, but I want to keep it in the foreign segment. This is uh, a film movement release. Really, really interesting. This is uh, a Kenyan movie, and it is called Rafiki by the director Wanuri Kahiu. And uh, this is a, a lovely, lovely movie. This is about, you know, it, it's still a very, very conservative culture with respect to all things sexual in uh, in Kenya. Uh, and this is about these two women uh, who uh, have a they who pursue, despite what the law and culture says, who pursue a relationship with each other. And uh, it, it's it it is a simple. Um, I I almost wouldn't even call it a romance. I mean, it is a romance, but it's really much more about their friendship. Mm. It's not you know it's not the sexuality. It's not the 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 the, the attraction between them. It's just it's just these are two women who don't fit. In the society, and who find in each other some validation of their individual individuality, and the fact that there is a romantic aspect to this—it's all kind of superfluous. It's really—it's a—it's a very, very sweet film with two very, very solid actresses, and uh, the film is Rafiki, and it's uh, only eighty-three minutes long. And I think you should check it out. Also, has a really good bonus short film on it called Hudson uh, by Shay Shu, which is worth checking out. Fantastic, uh, the Reverend Theodore Hertzberg. Very interesting figure uh, over the course of uh, history. Uh, born in born in 1917, uh, died just a couple of years ago, uh, uh, t- uh, 2015. So you know, almost made it to the to the century mark. Um, uh, he, he he was an actor among other things. He was a reference, but he was an actor. He was in a Rudy, one and only acting role. He played the priest, which is you know a perfect role for the reverend there. Yeah, uh, 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 the Catholic priest. Um, what he was most importantly was an advisor. Uh, to just about every uh, uh, major uh, political uh, figure in the United States, uh, you know, from from the mid from the mid uh, what mid mid forties probably on yeah uh, every single one uh, right through Barack Obama. Uh, uh, he the, the, you, you have the Reverend uh, Theodore and Martin Hersberg Theodore Martin Hersberg and he was a wonderful figure a civil rights advo- uh, uh, activist of course pushed back against all of the things you weren't supposed to p- push back against in the Catholic Church. And spoke about them all, including including some of the sex scandals and, and and all that kind of stuff. The Reverend was right there, always on the the, the side of right. Um, uh, this is a really fascinating um, film about him. Uh, all the more fascinating in 
all the people that you run into or will find yourself juxtaposed to as you watch his life. He was on that podium uh, yeah. when Martin Luther King gave that yeah. speech that I have agreed to. The Reverend was right there. Uh, you, the Reverend uh, eulogized John F. Kennedy. Uh, 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 the Reverend eulogized Robert Kennedy. Uh, and on and on and on. He was one of those sorts of figures uh, that, we, that we had in the in the late 19th and all of the 20th century, but I'm not sure that we have figures like this in the 21st century. One might think that the, the new pope would be one of those figures, but he won't be. The new pope, the new pope will be um, divisive. Yeah. And I don't think you can have figures like this anymore. That's interesting. Uh, you know, there, there were a few of them in the yeah. last century, but I, I do not think that we can have them anymore. Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love. This is a very odd documentary. Uh, about Leonard Cohen and one of his paramours uh, made by Nick Broomfield. Nick, Nick, Nick makes very odd films that he, that he sort of uh, insinuates himself into. He insinuates himself into this one, too. Basically, it just follows uh, Leonard Cohen uh, during this particular period in his life when he was involved with this woman, Marianne, whom he dedicates a song for, uh, to called Marianne. Uh, it's one of his early songs back when he was still uh, a novelist, really. Uh, and uh, it's about them and their their life together on on the these in, in the Greek islands and these Greek islands, and it's a very very odd and disturbing film about this woman who seems to have been infatuated with him, his engagement with her and her son, and what this all turned out to mean to him, his life, his career, her and her son. Um, uh, it's 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 not that um, revealing about Leonard Cohen in and of itself. The movie is mostly about him, but it's still not that revealing about Leonard Cohen. So if you want to learn something about Leonard, um, you won't. Other than he was something of a narcissist. But I think we always mm. sort of knew that a little bit about uh, about these these sorts of folks. But anyway, uh, Marianne and Leonard, directed by Nick Broomfield. I've got a couple here from Indie Picks. One is Haitian. One is Mexican. Uh, and they're both they're both good. The Haitian film, God bless her, Mira Nair threw her power uh, behind getting this thing out there and executive produced this, which means you know Mira Nair just said, I really think uh, Getty Felon is a talented filmmaker, and I'm going to make it possible for you to to get something out there. Yeah. So, uh, Getty first time filmmaker Getty Felon got a little a little boost from Mira Nair and made this movie Aiti Monamour, A Y I T I Aiti Monamour. Which is a, um, a a lovely little sort of allegory uh, centers entirely on this small little town on the coast of Haiti, and it uses uh, it's a the town and the sea and the people in it are really just all a a, a giant metaphor for the rest of the world, and all these interesting uh, interlocking stories like in Babel. It's a it it's really a, a lovely story, and especially because it is set. After the earthquake, the the uh, the devastation of the earthquake, and it has this um, magical realist sheen to it, and it really is a, a very very competent and very smart film. Aiti Monamore, it's worth checking out. The interlocking stories are done very very nicely, and the other one from Indie Picks is Hypnosis to Be Happy, which is a Mexican film. Um, about uh, two people who've never married, and so he's going to decide to propose marriage to her, and that winds up not being received exactly as you would expect, and uh, things take a very strange turn, and uh, you, you, it, it winds up having a pretty salient commentary on modern-day relationships and alienation and society and so forth. Uh, Hypnosis to be Happy by Victor Audefred. Wow. 
Uh, that sounds fascinating. Um, around the world, uh, around India with the movie camera, this is just an absolutely fascinating film. What this film does is look at uh, the 50 years uh, prior to Indian independence in 1947. So we have this deep, deep British archive, uh, the, 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 the BFI uh, Institute. And they go deep into the archives of uh, explorers and adventurers and uh, British military folks and uh, journalists, of, of course, from, from, from the BBC and elsewhere, mm -hmm. who over that 50 years, so you know, basically we're talking about uh, oh, 19, 19, well, 1897 mm -hmm. up to about 1947. And they just cover everything. This is Sabu is in this film. Wow! Uh, uh, and and it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And it's what I like about it is yes, while most of this footage is being shot by Brits, the colonials, um, it is it is endearing and loving of its subjects. It's it's not uh, uh, one of the, one of the, those sort of uh, nationalist sort of things about colonials here. It's a it's an absolutely lovely film. But the sort of footage you're just never going to see again. So all kinds of bonus uh, features on here, uh, too, including about 33 minutes of silent film from the silent film era, mm -hmm. uh, a travelogue through India. Just gorgeous, gorgeous Fantastic. Stuff. Couple from Film Movement. Uh, Out of Love is a, uh, a beautiful film. This is a Dutch film that uh, they, they, they want to call this sort of, well, it's as passionate as a Dutch film can be. Uh, you know, the, I, I, I'm not going to offend the Dutch, they're, but you're, you're, they're, the Italians are passionate. Uh, the Dutch don't really get a spot on that list. But anyway, uh, this is about a couple that just uh, has a whirlwind romance. And uh, then it all kind of goes sideways and downhill. And it is, it is, it's similar in, in, uh, to a lot of French films that try to do this as well, like A Toxic Affair yeah. with Natalie Bai and, and Sergio, uh, whatever his name is. Um, it does something similar, and this is kind of in that same uh, general vicinity. I like the performers, Naomi Velisario and uh, Daniil Vorobeyev. But, um, yeah, it's not quite as strong as French films that tell this story, but it's, it's still a really very well-told and very well-acted film. And then uh, the other one is Ritual, a psychomagic story, which is uh, from uh, filmmakers Giulia Brazale and Luca Imessi. And... Um, this is a bit of an odd one. Uh, this actually has uh, Jodorowsky in the film, and it claims to be inspired by him. But it is, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. It doesn't feel like a Jodorowsky uh, film. It's, uh, it's very, it's very sur surreal. It's very much kind of steeped in, uh, in supernatural ideas. It's visually very, very arresting. It's uh, you know similar to the other film. It's a story, a story about a, a couple with a very strong relationship and uh, how things affect that relationship in, in a negative way and uh, what they do to try to turn it around. And in where it goes, you are never going to be able to guess. So that is Ritual, a psychomagic story. Watch only if you are prepared for any and all surprises. Wow. Uh, the Ice King is an absolutely fascinating documentary about a fellow named John Curry who has fallen out of history, unfortunately. John Curry, uh, 1976 Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics, uh, was an ice skating champion. For one thing, uh, he completely evolved the sport of ice skating uh, from what it had been. And you know, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, John he, Curry, was, he was gay too. He was gay. Well, yeah. He was the first openly gay Olympian. Yeah. Period. Oh, that's uh, interesting. It, it just a uh, first openly gay Olympian period. I remember that was a thing at the time. It was a big, big deal. In a way, nobody. Uh, does but he anymore. was an astounding ice skater, and 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 some of the jumps and spins and triple axles and multiple. John Curry, 
was one of the first ice skaters to do that. Now, what he also was was uh, horribly, uh, horribly combative human being. Some of which you understood. Uh, the world of ice skating is competitive yeah. to begin with. It's particularly competitive if you happen to be a gay man yeah. uh, who is who is who is out and gay. He was upset that he knew that there were other gay men in in, in ice skating uh, who would not come out, uh, and he was sort of like out there to do battle all by himself against all of that. So he was sort of he was sort of prickly about that as well as a few other things. He was a, he was a bit self destructive. Uh, uh, very ambitious and a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant skater. But he is a sports figure who has somewhat fallen out of history, which is unfortunate for the gay community specifically because they have this this figure, uh, this this you know uh, uh, this person uh, amidst uh, their, their their icons who they've kind of lost a little bit. Nevertheless, uh, John Curry, fantastic figure in ice skating, 1976 Olympics. This is a wonderful documentary that goes quite deep. Uh, German film in the Isles by Thomas Stuber. I'm not really a fan of this movie. Part of it is because Sandra Hüller, who was in uh, that horrible thing that I hate so much, uh, the, with the, 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 the dad and the daughter and the mask and the teeth. What was that thing? What uh, was that? Oh, that freaking German film that drives me crazy. Uh, th- there was a hit at Canada. Everybody else loved it. White anyway. material? No, 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 it's like the, the the name of the character that the dad oh. plays. Remember, and then there's all the fur at the oh, end. It's yeah, a yeah, f- yeah, horrific, yeah. unfunny, overlong three-hour German comedy. A three-hour German <laughs> comedy. So, like, what is wrong with people? I remember that from a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah that thing, that d- 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 ridiculous movie. Anyway, um, so you know, look, I'm I'm half German. I'll tell you, we're not funny people. <laughs> not 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 at ninety minutes, and certainly not at three hours. <sighs> So in the aisles, Sandra Hüller. Otherwise, I might I might be more inclined to her. Uh, to to Tony Erdman. That was the movie. Tony, Tony Erdman. Erdman. Yes. Ugh. Uh, everyone else loved it. I hated it. Anyway, I would be otherwise more positively in, uh, inclined to her. So basically, this is this is in the th- this is a theme we got going here. These unusual romances. Uh, this is about two people. Uh, she and this guy. This un- this kind of creepy dude who work in this giant warehouse, this grocery warehouse. And uh, the warehouse is, of course, sort of metaphorical in many respects, as it obviously would be. And uh, they they have a, um, a bit of a romance. And uh, it's one of those common people romances where we're supposed to go, oh, isn't that sweet and ordinary and normal? I guess, maybe, but it also... Uh, it also isn't as, as sweet as everybody thinks that it is. It's called In the Isles. It's nicely photographed. I will give it that much. And then we've also got Feliz Año Tijuana, which is kind of like an Alex Cox movie. If you imagine a, uh, a, a Spanish language, um, Spanish and English language in this case, but mostly Spanish language version of uh, Repo Man set right on the border, that's kind of what this is. This is about this professor, this Chicano Studies professor uh, from Los Angeles, who has an encounter with a former student right down near the border, and uh, things go sideways. It has a commentary track, deleted scenes, and a few other things. It's uh, it's just eccentric enough to be engaging. Feliz Año Tijuana. Ah, I got a couple uh, over here, including a documentary called The Proposal, a Jill Magic film. Uh, 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 about Luis Barragón. Luis Barragón was one of the most important uh, architects uh, in, 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 in Mexico, in, well, in world history, but certainly in Mexico. Uh, many of the most important buildings and communities, entire communities, 
uh, in Mexico, in Mexico City specifically, were designed by architect Luis Barragón, who died in 1988. He has an archive. He had an archive of, uh, of drawings and, uh, and notes and letters and all kinds of essays and all kinds of things uh, that is kept in Switzerland. Uh, it, that it's under the control of this Spanish woman, a Spanish woman uh, uh, named uh, uh, Frederica Zanko. Frederica Zanko, it is said, received control of the Barragon Icob from her fiance back in the 90s, who gave the archive to her as okay. a wedding gift. Oh, wow. Gift, right? Uh, and she's put it in, a, in, a, in, a, in an archive and in a safe, and it is, uh, it is not something that the world can visit. The world cannot see uh, the collected works of Luis Barragon, who was also an artist as well as an architect. So the, the artist and a director, Jill Medjit, decided that she felt like this was a terrible situation for Barragon's uh, writings uh, to be kept away like this. So she solicited, she solicited uh, Zenko to release these things to her and back to the actually back to Mexico to the Mexican people to to relinquish them. And and and, and Zenko said no. <laughs> so so Jill decided that she was going to do something outlandish in addition to making this documentary about Barragon and this entire situation. What she did involved the exhumation of Luis Barragon and the, and, and the taking of his remains and the distilling of some of them, at least, into a ring, an actual ring, and offering this ring to Frederica Zanko as a gift of sorts. Nice. You know, uh, I'll give you a little chunk of your dead, of this dead guy <laughs> if you give me his archives back or give, or give the state of Mexico his archives back. It's a bit of a stunt, this movie, but it does enlighten us about, about the work of uh, Luis Barragon, whose, 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 whose papers are important, his archives are important, and I do wish that they were available for us to see. Uh, but, you know, I still think that, that, is a, that there's a bit of a something going on in that documentary that's not completely sincere that has something to do with the artist and the artist's work. And her sort of performance art, sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, even the movie yeah. is, is, is 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 in a way a piece of her performance art. Right. So it's not completely sincere. Uh, uh, there, Wonders of the Sea in 3D. This is just a wonderful, wonderful French uh, uh, documentary shot in 3D uh, by French ocean explorer Jean Michel Cousteau, yeah, grandson yep. of Jacques. Yeah, uh, that for some reason uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is involved. What I guess he digs to see. He shows up in the film. He does some narration and has an interview in the film. Mostly, we're under the sea uh, with a whole bunch of exotic yeah. animals, hammerheads. Dude, the hammerhead shark will always fascinate me. For one thing, its head is shaped just like a hammer. <laughs> it's so. How old. the hell did that turn out? Uh, yeah, well, anyway, yeah, neat. Uh, uh, under the sea, uh, four, uh, four, four K Ultra HD and Blu-ray. All right, and we've got uh, some Welgo titles remaining here. we got some giveaways for them, too. First one uh, is not Asian-themed, by the way. Every once in a while, Welgo does stuff that is not Asian-themed. This has, We have two of these to give away. It is called The First King, Birth of an Empire. And uh, this is from Matteo Rovere. And it, uh, it, if you know the story of the Roman Empire, it's about Romulus and Remus, the two brothers, Romulus yeah. and Remus, who founded it. Eventually, they borrowed that on Star Trek, and that's where the Romulan Empire came from. Uh, but the the story of Rome is that it was founded by two brothers, Romulus and Remus, who were raised by wolves and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, um, this that story is it done very well? Eh, not particularly. There's not a lot of money to throw around here, but they 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 try to make it respectable, and you got to kind of applaud them a little bit. I mean, it does have some moments and some, but they're playing it for action, really. So it's called The First King, uh, Birth of an Empire. Send us an email to godsdigigods.com or godsdcindygods.com with uh, birth, 
B-I-R-T-H in the subject line and uh, name and address in the uh, the body of the email, and we will send two lucky people the first king if we receive it by Friday the 18th. By Friday the 18th. We'll let you know within 24 hours. Uh, we're also going to be giving away one copy of The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil. This is a Korean action film uh, that is uh, quite... Pretty darn good, actually. It's uh, it's about a um, uh, a gangster and a um, cop who have to team up. I can't really tell you anything else other than that. But it's a very unusual buddy team up for absolutely incredibly good reasons. The gangster, the cop, the devil. That will help you figure it out. The gangster and the cop team up. The devil, who's the devil? Well, it, you have to watch the movie to find out. The devil is a very compelling character and, and, and a great uh, has a lot of great stuff behind it. So uh, give that a look-see. That's got some bonus features and uh, making of featurettes and, and whatnot. And we're giving away one copy of The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil. Send us an email to godsdigigods.com or gods at cinegods.com by the 18th and put cop in the subject line. Cop, C-O-P. And we will pick a winner by the 19th. And then the last of these is The House That Never Dies, Reawakening. In case you didn't realize it, it's a haunted house movie. <laughs> uh, it is. It's a haunted house movie. You know, a whole, uh, a whole family was murdered and then uh, other people come to the house and uh, it's, still, it's still filled with ghosts and spooky happenings and now they want revenge and all that kind of jazz. Uh, look, I mean, this is uh, it's fine, I guess. It's uh, as as fine as a Mandarin language uh, Chinese film can be. But uh, it's not uh, Japanese spooky. It's not Korean spooky. It's not even American spooky. It's definitely fourth tier at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple over here? Yeah. A little TV. Yeah. Uh, My it, favorite show of all time. 1989 to 19, let's see, 1991. 1988 yep. to 1991. Yeah. Uh, it, it blows me away that this series was that long ago. I know. We're talking about China Beast Complete Series. Yeah. Such uh, a show. Yeah, I mean, a fantastic show. Yep. Uh, coming, coming along at that period, uh, Vietnam, uh, you know, post-Vietnam, yeah. when Vietnam was still a thing uh, in the zeitgeist, all, yeah. these, all these guys coming back, all those movies, uh, Platoon, yep. uh, 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 Hotel Hanoi, uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, uh, 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 I mean, th- so many yeah. uh, were coming along. And then this series. Um, which of all of that stuff, I mean, you know, Full Metal Jacket is Full Metal Jacket and all of that, but of all of that stuff, in terms of a comprehensive sort of let us live in Vietnam, and most importantly, not a boy movie. This movie was as much about the women in Vietnam, all of those nurses, soldiers, uh, working at those hospitals, uh, as, Love as, it. as it was the men who were going out yep. on missions, uh, yep. which was one of the most more powerful things Such about China Beast. Uh, despite the fact it was a, it's a series set during that war, it's not a series about boys it's, at all. And it's and it is and, and this is the re-release. So this is the first time it's been back out since the original release and uh, full series. You got to check it out. I wish to do it in, on Blu-ray. I wish, but uh, in time. This is one of those blow your mind things too. When yeah. you go back and watch it, you know, after thirty years almost, uh, and you go through episode by episode, all the people you see, all the name Michael Boatman and yep. and all just just all the all the young actors who were coming up, who went on Robert Picardo, who went on to uh, to really make uh, make names for themselves. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing how many 
of the young actors and actresses who came through this series. One of them had some real some, some real serious careers. I mean, Ricky Lake was in a daggum episode yeah. of, uh, of China Beach, man. Uh, uh, Chloe Webb is in China Beach. Uh, uh, Tom Sizemore is in China Beach. Uh, I can go on. Wings Hauser is in a China Beach. Uh, uh, just on and on it's and on. It's crazy. Uh, if you go, Dorian Harewood is in a China Beach. I know. It's just, you know, you just go on. It's just one of those series gave everybody a shot. And Francis Nijin is in China Beach. So a uh, wonderful series, the complete series there. Um, this 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 uh, Netflix sort of series doc. Uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, toys. the toys that made us. Yeah, I love this. This is pointed at people from our generation. <laughs> it sure is because it's not it, the toys that made us. Uh, of course, there were toys prior to our generation, sure. but but we had a different generation with our toys. Yeah, than our parents did. True. Let's say. Yeah. Um, for one thing, generally speaking, the toys that formed us as children were sold to us on television. Yeah, we watched Saturday morning uh, TV commercials and these sort of marketing platforms. And they 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 built these toys. Some of them were the first toys that were merchandising toys. Yeah. He Man, you know, there was no He Man toy that spun off a uh, a cartoon series. <laughs> there was a cartoon series that sold us He Man toys. Uh, so we were the first generation where where it, it, where everything was sort of flipped on its head and media became involved. Yeah, and real serious marketing became involved. You yep. couldn't just give a kid a rock and a string no. and say, okay, go play, boy, and, and have them be happy. That our, yeah. our generation. We had to have – and these toys, really, every single one of these things is absolutely fan, uh, fabulous. And I can remember where I was the first time I, I got one or played with one. Great story. Out of Netflix, The Toys That Made Us. Uh, Gunsmoke, the 15th season, volume one and two. 26 episodes split between these two uh, double-disc sets. All remastered, all beautiful, all really wonderful. And here's the interesting thing about the 15th season. The 15th season takes you out of the 60s. This show started in the 50s. Remember that. Gunsmoke started in the 50s, in that moment when Westerns were a thing on television, and television was young, and yeah. it was, you know, it was Westerns just were, were connected. And now we're turning the corner. We're going into the 1970s. So the 15th season is the one that gets you into 1970. And what's significant about that is that the rural purge took place in 6970. And that's when the new leadership at CBS came in and canceled all the rural programming. You know, Mayberry RFD and uh, Beverly Hillbillies and Gomer Pyle and on and on and on and on. And they replaced it with That Girl and All in the Family and the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And suddenly there was they were focused on people in the cities. And the question is, what does Gunsmoke do? Yeah. At this moment, because Gunsmoke belongs to a different era, and it's really kind of becoming an anachronism in 1970. And you can see it in the writing here that they they're trying to sort of keep uh, keep up, trying to keep you know yeah. up with the changing times. Because Gunsmoke in 1970, the show started right after the Korean War, and now we're in the middle of the Vietnam War. Yeah, I mean that's uh, you yeah. know how, how do you, those are all part of the cultural current, and you've got to you got to sort of acknowledge that on some level in the writing two, of the show. Two, close to two generations. Close uh, to two uh, generations. Separating the beginning of the show in the 1970s. Yeah. And it would go on, I think, another five years, right? Yeah. It was 74, I think, when it went off the air, which is amazing to me. But uh, there it is, Gunsmoke, 15th season. And then we've also got uh, American Horror Story Apocalypse, the complete eighth season. I'm kind of amazed that this has carried on this long, but people like it. And it's one of the hit shows on FX. They got a new season coming up. And uh, they switch it up every year. 
that's part of what keeps it fresh. They, they, they find new ways to just uh, creep people out and terrify them and bring in a new cast. And this it, not my favorite show. I don't really quite get it. But you know what? Sarah Paulson, Kathy Bates, that's, those are some name actresses. And uh, they, they are able to somehow really give it a production value and a sheen and take it in new directions. And it's different every year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good on them. Uh, the, the, the interesting post-apocalyptic uh, angle in, in this one here. But there it is, AHS Apocalypse, the eighth season. Wow. Kathy Bates was in the episode of China Beach. That's right, she was, wasn't she? she? she, she yeah, yeah, Crazy. Yeah. Hong S. Noor was in an episode of China Beach. I did not know that. Uh, I crazy. You know, yes, it's, 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 those 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 late eighties, early nineties television shows, man. They were they, they, they were loaded. They were they were absolutely loaded. Um, uh, here I have uh, Charmed, the reboot of Charmed season one. I will admit that I watched this. I I was a big fan of the original Charmed, yeah. Shannon Doherty, on you know, all kind of stuff. And I was just I don't know why I was just one of those people. So when this popped up. For, for whatever reason, I decided I was going to engage. I watched the entire first season. I absolutely adore uh, this reboot of Charmed. And I'm not one to adore these reboots of things, as yeah. folks who listen to this show know. Uh, but I do I do adore this. This is the first season. It's really, really lo- lovely. I love it. It's sort of uh, ethnic sort of thing that it's got going on with the little Latino girls and, the, and, and their half-black sister and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's a charming, funny show. Uh, that's you know uh, still speaks to some of the contemporary issues that we have going on, on today. Uh, special feature on there: the making of Charmed. So I don't really know what to think of Tell Me a Story. Have you watched Tell Me a Story? Uh, that's that Kevin Williamson series. Yeah, right? exactly. It's uh, it, Kevin it, is a scream and uh, yeah, Dawson's Creek. So and all it's kinds of crap. it's clever. It might be a little too clever. So so I don't like uh the uh, the other fairy tale Once Upon a Time that that yeah, show. I don't like yeah. that at all because that's what that's doing is just weird. It's like trying to wrap contemporary drama around fairy tales in a very confusing way, and you're in and out of different worlds, and it doesn't make sense. Tell me a story. Uh, basically, takes a whole series of fairy tales, including uh, Little Red Riding Hood and Hansel and Gretel and and uh, Three Little Pigs of all things, and creates a season long modern day urban dramatic arc that sort of modernizes and integrates all of them. Mm. So they're not literal fairy tales, but they're like reconceptualized fairy tales. Anyway. Um, I I'm you, you all you feel like you should laugh, but it's so dark and so thrillery that you you sort of can't. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes in a second season and if they can kind of sustain the gimmick. But um, man, it's really it's really unusual, and it's I, I give them a for effort. It's it's I, it's something I've never seen before. So on that, you know, Kevin Williamson, good on you, man. You know, uh, coming out of Scream, that was his first big thing. Scream, yeah, r- Scream was for uh, yeah. Scream was his first, and and Kevin just really did. Build a rip roaring yeah. career yeah. Uh, out of that. Went straight into Dawson Creek. One of the co-creators, of Dawson's Creek, and then, yep. and then on you know, the other uh, subsequent screams and yeah, and, he's uh, done. He's and, done a good job and just uh, just cranked it out pretty good there. Got to got to be a little impressed with Kevin, you know, because we think about we think about um, the Buffy the Vampire uh, uh, Slayer guy, uh, uh, Josh, yeah, uh, and, uh, and and all his stuff. But Kevin did some good work over there too, man. Yes, he did. Uh, and then we also have <laughs> Doom Patrol, the complete first season. Uh, which is, you know, th- it, yet another d- variation on on a DC adaptation for television. DC is doing so much better on TV in yeah. every conceivable way than than Marvel is, 
and Marvel's doing better on the big screen. I, it's just a strange thing. I mean, but, there's a lot of Marvel stuff on television, but it's, you know, not good. Yeah, it does. It's not. I but mean, for look, the things that I DC, happen to enjoy. DC keeps nailing it. Batwoman? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's like turning out much better than I thought. Uh, so, uh, this is, this is, uh, a, a bunch of really kind of weird DC superheroes that you've never heard of before. Chief, Crazy Jane, Elastor Woman, Robot Man. Elastor Woman? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, see, these are, these are, these are like weird, these are weird superheroes that just sort of don't make sense. And, and they, the only thing that they all have in common, uh, and Timothy Dalton, by the way. Dude, Timothy Dalton is old. Yeah, he's been like, around. Like, I, yeah, like I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, that, oh, who is that really interesting old British guy? He's uh, got, a, oh, that's Timothy Dalton. <laughs> like you freak out. It suddenly dawns on you. He's not James Bond anymore. He's like, he's like, he's an old man. He looks older than Sean Connery. What happened? Um, oh it's really, really kind of creepy. So uh, anyway, the only thing that keeps all these, all of them together is that they were all sort of disfigured in some way. They all had some horrible disfiguring accident that, that left them disfigured, but also with superpowers. That's the only thing. That's what makes them the Doom Patrol. And uh, so uh, they wind up uh, having a, uh, let's say, a mission together to solve a particular situation, which I won't tell you any details about. And uh, it's a little funny and it's a little weird and it's a little bit like um, Legends of Tomorrow Mm. if they were really, really messed up. (laughs) <laughs> and weren't time traveling. Which is kind of funny. And uh, the last one I hear of is the complete series of Life with Lucy, uh, which was which is a bit of an unfortunate show. It ran only in 1986. It was an attempt to kind of reboot the cast of the Lucy show a little bit, uh, and it doesn't really work. Lucy's too old. She, you know, Gail Gordon is too old. Yeah, uh, and they're still leaning on a lot of physical comedy, which was just scary. Yeah, it just, you know, they threw a lot of people at this thing. Audrey Meadows and and uh, uh, um, John Ritter, and and they threw a lot of people at this season to try to try to hold it down. But it's just Lucy is not Lucy anymore here. So I would say this is really strictly for people who feel the need. To be Lucy completists, you're going to want to have the uh, this one this one volume set here, the complete series Life with Lucy from 1986. But otherwise, it's kind of sad. Yeah, uh, Mystery Science three, uh, uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, volume twelve. I have, which I have, means nothing to me. Yeah, <laughs> Mark, if Mark were here, he'd 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 recite chapter and he, verse. All that kind of stuff. Look, Mystery Science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watch bad B movies uh, with the, the commentary from a robot and. A, and a dude, and yeah, and no, no, it's I, never been my thing. I, I, I was just never my thing either. I, and the thing of it is, uh, more, more often than not, I just wanted to watch the damn movie. I know, uh, same they, here. They, they were cracking wise about. Nevertheless, there it is. I think they rebooted this uh, with a you know different crew. Yeah. a couple of two, three yeah. years ago. Nevertheless, uh, this is volume twelve. Uh, the movies uh, that are uh, mocked on this thing include uh, the Rebel set, Secret Agent, Super Dragon. Uh, the Starfighters and uh, parts of uh, the Colonial Horror. I don't know those movies at all. So, you know, uh, you got to be into Mystery Science Theater 3000. Storm of the Century, an adaptation of Stephen King's Storm of the Century. This was a four-hour and some odd uh, I know. long uh, television series. It's from, uh, from, from uh, 1999, I think it was. Crazy. Uh, not a particularly good Stephen King uh, 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 book or short story or whatever it was here, which made a not particularly good. This is not one of the better Stephen King adaptations uh, over the course of many, many years. I think we talked about The Shining last show. Uh, it 
uh, should be coming out on DVD sometime soon. Cool. Very cool. If I'm not mistaken. All right, I guess that's it. My goodness, that was a, that was a fast show. Um, perfect. All right, everybody, we are done this week, and uh, have a great week. Send us all of your uh, your emails for the giveaways to uh, godsdigigods.com, godsatcinegods.com. Make sure they get to us by the 18th, the 18th, Friday the 18th, and uh, we will pick uh, some winners and make some people very happy. And otherwise, we will see you uh, end of the month. We're getting close to Halloween, so we're, we're going to try to have a Halloween show. Oddly enough, fewer Halloween titles being released this year than in previous years. There's I don't know what that means. Thing in the world, including two or three movies, uh, that, that uh, Guillermo del Toro movie, yeah. uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. They released four months ago. Four I months know. Ago. What the hell did I do that for, Guillermo? Hold on to it. A big raft of horror movies that I, that I was reviewing in September. It's crazy. That's Hold on to that stuff. All right. We'll see you guys next week.